It was summer vacation and our family was camping along the California coast in our van and our tent trailer. And we were leaving Carmel after a very fun day and we were heading back to our campsite near Santa Cruz about 45 minutes away. And as we pulled out of town, our transmission went out. Kaput. We were stuck, we couldn't move. Now we knew that what came next would not be fun. What we didn't know was that God was going to show up in the midst of this experience in a very distinctive way. We called AAA and a tow truck was there in 10 minutes. Just 10 minutes because the driver just happened to be heading in our direction when he got the call. He hooked us up and he towed us to a transmission shop in Monterey and it was after hours and the shop should have been closed, but the owner just happened to be working late that night. He got on the phone to his supplier up in San Jose, and that shop also should have been closed, but that guy just happened to be working late. And all of this meant that the replacement transmission would be on the truck the next morning and shipped down to Monterey in time for it to be replaced the next day. Now, I could hardly believe it. Were all those things coincidences? I don't think so. I believe God divinely intervened to ease the inconvenience of our breakdown. So now we had the van taken care of and we needed transportation. We got a taxi, we headed out to the little Monterey airport and we rented a car there. So we were able to drive back to our campsite up near Santa Cruz for the night. And it was a frustrating experience, but it could have been so much worse. Well, the next day the transmission was installed. So we had to get up and drive back to Monterey, pick up the van, go out to the airport, turn in the rental car, drive the van back to Santa Cruz to hitch up the tent trailer, and then begin our journey home. So that was another long, tiring, frustrating day. So we're finally heading home, and I pull off the highway to get some gas. When I go in to pay the cashier, I can tell that she's been crying. And I don't want to embarrass her, so I pretend like I don't see anything. And I don't say anything. I just pay and leave. Late that night, I'm lying in bed, and I cannot get that young woman out of my mind. I keep seeing this image of her tear-streaked face. It just won't go away. I don't know how God speaks to you. He rarely speaks to me in an audible voice. But what he does from time to time is he puts very clear thoughts into my head. And that night the Holy Spirit whispered into my mind with these words. Bruce, yesterday you saw me divinely intervene to take care of you. Tonight, I wanted you to be a divine appointment for that young woman. She had a need. I wanted to meet that need through you. And you ignored the opportunity I gave you. <laughs> Ouch. What could I do? I, I apologized to my Heavenly Father. I fervently prayed for that young woman. 
And I've tried ever since to be so much more aware of the opportunities that God gives me, that God gives us for divine appointments. Divine appointments where we can share God's love and make a difference in the life of another person. This morning we're wrapping up our our series of messages about the mission of the church, which is spelled out on these banners over on the wall, to know Him, to love Him, and to share Him. And when it comes to sharing our faith, we need to realize that God can arrange a divine appointment at any time. Even when we're going about our legitimate business, when we're taking care of real and legitimate needs, as I was when I pulled into that gas station, God can put another person into our path in those moments. Someone who needs His touch. And He wants us to be ready so we don't miss those opportunities. And fortunately, Jesus shows us how. He's on the road one day, like I was. And He makes a stop. And He meets a stranger, like I did. It's a chance meeting, and it doesn't look like anything special, yet Jesus makes the most of this opportunity. And as this story unfolds, what we find is that what appears to be a routine matter actually is a divine appointment. I'd like us to listen to this story. It's recorded for us in the book of John, chapter 4, verses 1 to 26. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. 
Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. We encounter many people in the Bible who, for various reasons, are not named. And I always find it easier to tell the story if the person has a name. It makes it more personal and more real. And so this morning, since this is a Samaritan woman, I'm going to call her Sam. Jesus meets Sam because he's on the way from Judea to Galilee, and he passes through Samaria. Now, this is the most direct route from point A to point B, but what's fascinating is that most Jews don't go that way. They actually go out of their way to travel around Samaria. And why is that? It's because they view the Samaritans as ethnically and spiritually inferior Rather than share God's love with the Samaritans, the Jews preferred to avoid the Samaritans. And their attitude reminds me of a pastor I know named Kevin. He, he lives in a suburb of Chicago, and his church is in another suburb of Chicago. And the most direct route between his home and his church goes right through a black neighborhood. For the first five years of his ministry... Kevin would drive around that neighborhood. He'd avoid it. And then one day, while reading this Bible passage, he realized that his attitude was wrong. Why should he be avoiding a neighborhood simply because the people who lived there had different color skin? So he started to drive through that neighborhood. And after a couple of days, he noticed on a street corner there was a church. He felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to start to pray, to pray for that church, to pray for that pastor, to pray for the ministry of that congregation. So he prayed faithfully for several weeks, and then one day he felt again the nudge of the Holy Spirit, so he pulled into the parking lot, and he went into the church office there, and he met the pastor. And Kevin admitted to Herb, his brother in Christ, his fellow pastor, that he really struggled with some prejudice toward black people. And Herb told Kevin that he struggled with some prejudice toward white people. So they talked and they prayed together and a friendship began to develop. And today these two churches, one white, one black, are very closely connected. Racial and social barriers have been broken down. And these two congregations now share God's love freely with each other. And they do ministry together out in the community to model their unity in Christ and to share their mutual love of Jesus with their community. It all started because Kevin stopped avoiding the neighborhood. 
He went through the neighborhood. And he found that God had a divine appointment waiting for him. And that's what happens to Jesus. It's because he goes through Samaria rather than around Samaria that he meets Sam. And they meet one day at noon by the community well. Now Jesus, when he arrives, he's already been walking a while, so he's tired and he's hungry and he's thirsty. He's not going to Samaria, he's just passing through. He's stopping to take a break on his journey. And it's logical and normal and natural to be thinking about caring for himself, to be focused on meeting his needs. Yet when Sam shows up, Jesus shows that we can meet our own needs and share God's love with another person at the same time. Now, as you listen to the story being read, it might strike you that what Jesus says is very culturally appropriate for him in the first century century Middle East, but not necessarily culturally appropriate for us in our day. Some of his words and phrases are very different from the way that we would talk. So rather than mimic what Jesus says... I think we can learn from the principles that he employs in order to share with Sam about God. And first and foremost, Jesus initiates a social connection. And he does that by asking Sam a question, as we see here in verses 7 to 10. Jesus just wants a drink. Drawing water in that culture often is a woman's task, but there's certainly no reason Jesus couldn't do it for himself. And yet by asking a question, there's the opportunity to initiate a conversation. It's actually really simple. Just ask a question. And asking questions is so basic. And yet, asking a question often can lead to an opportunity to share something about our faith. One time I was boarding a flight at the end of a ministry trip, and if you've been on an airplane, you know what it's like as you start to board, and you're in that crowd of people shuffling your way down the jetway, and it's waiting and boring, and you're just trying to get on the plane and get home. And and as we boarded the plane, there was the flight attendant standing there going through her routine. Good afternoon. Welcome to Southwest Airlines. People were kind of nodding and smiling, and as I watched all this, it looked to me like everybody was just sort of going through the motions. So when I got up to her, I stopped and I looked her in the eye and I said, how are you doing today? And she went, (laughs) there was this double take. And she said, you really mean it, don't you? I said, yes, I do. Well, to be honest, I've had a rotten day. It's been horrible. I've had some really nasty things happen to me. And I can't wait for this flight to be over because then I get to go home. And I said, well, I hope those of us on this plane make your last flight of the day a little better. I obviously couldn't engage in a long conversation. There was a lot of people in line behind me, so I just shuffled down the aisle and took my seat. But later in the flight, she stopped by to my seat and she said, thank you for asking. It's so rare for anyone to show that they actually care. And then she opened up and she told me some details about some of the nasty things that had happened that day. And when people tell me about bad things in their life, I always offer to pray. And so I said, is it okay with you if I pray about that? 
Wow, she said, no one's ever offered to pray for me before. Are you a Christian? (laughs) Yes, I am. And I believe that when we pray, things change. She said she would appreciate my prayers. And she said, I'm going to be looking to see what God might do. When I left the plane a little later, we said goodbye, and I've never seen her again. But as I walked through the airport, I realized that I had just been a divine appointment for her. God worked through me to share a little bit of his love with a tired, overwhelmed, harassed flight attendant. God used me to plant a spiritual seed in her life. And it all started because I asked a simple question. Most of us find it really hard to bring up spiritual stuff as we go about our day, but, but what could be more routine than asking someone very sincerely, how are you? What could be more simple than asking someone, hey, can I have a drink of water? Like Jesus did. You see, just like him, we can ask a simple question to start a conversation and then see where it leads. And sometimes it won't lead anywhere. Sometimes, though, our question opens the door to a divine appointment. And that's exactly what happens here. Jesus asks for water, and Sam offers a response about the poor relationship between the Samaritans and the Jews. She takes that simple request, and then she immediately turns the conversation, and she plunges it into deep waters. And I find this time and time again. Many people, when they realize that someone cares, when they realize that someone actually is listening, will quickly dive into deep waters conversationally. They'll even share deeply personal things about themselves. What's interesting in this case is that Jesus redirects the conversation away from the ethnic issues between Jews and Samaritans that Sam raises. There's a time to talk about that, but he doesn't want to do that here. And instead of discussing why he's willing to talk with a Samaritan, he simply will show that he's willing to talk with a Samaritan. And then what he wants to do in whatever time is available to him in this conversation, he wants to point Sam toward God. And he does so very, very succinctly. And that's another principle that Jesus models throughout this conversation. The importance of being brief. And we see an example of that in verses 11 to 14. Sam makes comments. Jesus responds very, very briefly. And this is so important to understand. If we're talking with someone and they take us into deep issues, we may be tended to respond in great detail. We may feel like we have to be really thorough and cover everything so there's no unanswered questions and we then go on and on and on. And what's interesting in this story is that in every case, the issues Sam raises are complex. So Jesus easily could justify giving her lengthy responses. He doesn't. He keeps his comments brief. Now, Jesus also says some things here that are very distinct and unusual, which he is uniquely capable of doing. 
And I don't know about you, but sometimes as I watch Jesus interact with people, I say to myself, I, I, I can't be quite that creative. I can't be quite that provocative. And it's okay. Because we don't have to mimic Jesus. What we learn here is the importance of brevity. Because if we go on at length, we may simply bore the other person to death. We may also dump so much information on them, they go into overload mode, and it may be more than they want or need to hear at that moment. And if we give a short response, it promotes a dialogue, not a monologue. And I think short answers always are respectful to that other person because it gives that other person the freedom to end the conversation at any time. They can ask a question or make a comment, we can respond, and they can say thank you very much and change the subject, and we give them the freedom to do that. And so by being brief, we simply are faithful to do what we can do, and then we leave the rest up to the Holy Spirit. It's really important to understand that it's not all up to us. We just need to do our part and trust that God will do His. That's what Jesus shows us here. Ask questions. Be brief. Ask questions. Be brief. Then there's one more principle that he demonstrates in this conversation, and we see it repeated here in verses 9 and 11 and 15 and 19. And it's this. Jesus starts the conversation with a question, but everything else simply is a response to Sam. Notice how many times this happened. Sam said, Sam said, Sam said. She makes a comment, Jesus responds. She makes a comment, Jesus responds. And what we learn from this is that Jesus is not following a script. This is not a canned sales presentation to Sam about her need for God. If you've ever participated in any kind of evangelism training... You can think that, oh my goodness, there's certain topics I have to raise, there's certain points I have to make, there's certain phrases I have to use or I'm dropping the ball. And Jesus shows us a much better way. There's no formula, just a conversation. A conversation where we listen to the person, we listen to the Holy Spirit, and we see where God leads it. And what I really like here is that Jesus lets Sam set the pace. He just responds to what she raises. It's, like, it's almost like this, you know, okay, Sam, you want to talk about water? We'll talk about water. You want to talk about worship? We'll talk about worship. Whatever she wants to talk about, Jesus will look for a way to respond that connects what she's interested in with something spiritual, something that moves her a step closer to God. And if we're paying attention, it's not really all that hard to do. My friend Sid once was on a camping trip, and he watched a guy pull in at the next campsite, and he set up all his gear, and then he carefully laid his campfire, and it was getting dark, and he watched the guy go over and rummage around through all of his gear, but the fire wasn't getting lit. So Sid walked over and said, hey, do you need a light? And the guy sheepishly said, yeah, I forgot my matches. So Sid rummaged up a book of matches, and the fire got lit, and they stood there and watched the campfire grow. And they talked about the enjoyment 
of a campfire. They talked about the beauty of light. And Sid made a brief comment about the light of God and the way that God reveals His light and the beauty of nature. And so the two men had this short, pithy talk about God because Sid took that issue at hand, the need for light, and he connected it to something spiritual. That's what Jesus does here. Listening. Listening to the Holy Spirit. Listening to the person that you're talking to. And asking God to give you wisdom to say, is there a way I can drop even just a little pearl of a spiritual comment into this conversation? And so what we have here in this Bible passage is this profound encounter, a divine appointment that occurs in a very routine setting. It begins with Jesus asking a very basic, simple question. Can I have a drink? And as Sam responds, and he responds to her with these brief, relevant comments. And in this case, ultimately, he winds up having a chance to identify himself as the Messiah. Now, that's a powerful conclusion to a divine appointment. Not every conversation will go that way. Not every every chance encounter with a stranger is a divine appointment. But some of them are. And one way to find out is to ask questions of the people that we meet during the day. We ask questions and we see what happens. And if a conversation results, we respond with answers that are brief. We We look for ways to connect the things they're interested in with spiritual topics. I might offer to pray for the person. We just let the Spirit lead us. And what's so exciting is this. When you and I participate in these divine appointments, then we are actively fulfilling our God-given mission to share God's love and to help build His kingdom in the midst of this very broken world. Jesus shows us how to do it. Randy Harris is a professor at Abilene Christian University, and he he sometimes sends his students out on a very special spring break experience. It's a trip designed to help them learn to listen to the Holy Spirit, to learn how to look for divine appointments, and how to become more confident about sharing God's love with other people. He forms his students into teams and they drive out of Abilene in all different directions. There's no specific destination and no specific plan other than this. Listen to the Holy Spirit. And so as these students drive down the highways, as they pass by homes, as they journey through towns, they just keep praying and say, God, who should we stop and talk to? They spend a week on the road and they come back with amazing stories of divine appointments. Stories about helping the homeless. Stories about befriending widows and widowers and helping them with errands and household projects. Assisting stranded motorists by the side of the road. Impromptu tutoring sessions with students. Praying with a server at a restaurant. 
And in many cases, the students report on deep spiritual conversations that came to pass with these complete strangers as they took time to be with them and talk with them. And sometimes those conversations even resulted in someone being baptized and becoming a follower of Jesus. Every team has at least one major divine appointment. Randy listens to his students tell these stories, and then here's what he says. You had these experiences because you were looking for them. You were primed and ready for opportunities to share God's love because it's all you had to do this week. The challenge we all face is to bring that same sense of expectation and awareness into our daily lives. Even when we are busy with lots of other things, God is continually arranging divine appointments for us. We just need to be willing to look beyond ourselves and discover them. I love this story because it highlights there's a great lesson for all of us to learn here. We all will have far more opportunities to share God's love when we look for them and when we simply take time to engage other people in conversation. And if we're looking, and if we're ready, and if we're listening to the Spirit, then sometimes we will wind up in a life-changing conversation about Jesus with someone that God has put into our path. As I've mentioned the last two weeks, I sometimes like to imagine the Bible characters that we study actually being in our presence. So this morning I find myself wondering this, what would it be like if Sam was here? Now that we've explored her story and we've seen her interact with Jesus, if Sam were to come and stand on this platform, what would she say to us? I think she might say something like this. I'm so grateful that Jesus was willing to take the time to talk with me. He asked me one simple question. Would you give me a drink of water? And it led to a conversation that changed my life. If he only was thinking of himself, though, that a conversation never would have happened. And every day, you will meet all kinds of people. As you do, I want to encourage you to listen to the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit prompt you to ask questions, to start conversations, and see where they might lead. Because you never know when God is preparing you for a divine appointment with someone like me.